Hello, everybody. Welcome back into the Bushy Baller Brand Podcast. It has been roughly like six months since we've done a recording uh, between, you know, I graduated from community college and transferred schools. So between that and work kind of picking up as COVID things have started with things back up. It's been a little bit busy, but we are finally back. It is the summer. We are in June. NBA finals are right around the corner. Uh, for those of you listening in, typically this show is co-hosted with David Shane. However, David is away at a summer camp. He is uh, kind of being a counselor there for the next few weeks or so. So I have John Murphy sitting in with me, and we're just going to hit a couple of NBA topics for you today. But, you know, first and foremost, we just we want to start out with talking about what on earth happened to the Sixers, big-time collapse, everything just what really went wrong for them. And as NBA fans, when you watch, go back and watch that series, you can point to a million other things. You know, we're going to get to Ben Simmons. We're going to get to Doc Rivers. We're going to get to a lot of pieces on the bench, not maybe panning out as the Sixers may have hoped. But I really, I want to start off by just talking about what on earth happened to Ben Simmons. I mean, it was just a, it was really hard to watch. As, as Sixers fans, it was difficult to watch. But just as even if you're just a lover of the game of basketball, it was even harder to watch someone just really struggle and they're considered a point guard. So before I kind of give my two cents to get into it, I'm going to throw it to you, John, just kind of, you know, introduce yourself first because it's your first time here, just kind of who you are. But then really, let's, let me know what what did you see? Like what what happened to the Sixers and the way that they were collapsing? All right. So. First off, I'll introduce myself. Um, obviously, Chris said my name is John Murphy. Known Chris for a couple years. Um, big Philly sports fan, just like he is. Um, so now we're going to get to Ben Simmons. And for the past couple years, when they did start him at point guard, I didn't think he was a point guard at all. I thought they should have played him more at forward. As you can see, you can't make free throws. Um, they were found him. The Hawks were found him, the Wizards were found him when they could. And, you know, those free throws turned out to be crucial. I know one game he was a four for 14. And the Sixers ended up losing that game by six points. So if he makes all of those free throws, it's obviously not a close game and the Sixers win. Yeah, no, um, it is. It, it was something that just, it, it's hard to see what happens when you see, like, it, it's not so much, I mean, obviously, yeah, the free throw shooting is, a massive issue. I mean, 34% worst in NBA history and like as a point guard, but just it's the regression of the way that he was his first year in the playoffs. He shot around 70% from the free throws, which, you know, that's a lot better, but you'd still, you'd like to see it closer to the eighties as a point guard. Then his second year in the playoffs, it was in the mid fifties. I think it was around 54%. So big decline, obviously missed 2020 in the bubble with the injury this past year, 34% from the free throw line. So it's not just that he's a bad free throw shooter. It's that there's just been the constant regression of his shooting. And it really makes you think, like, how committed is this guy to the team? And is he really putting in the work in the offseason? Or is he just kind of, you know, there for the moment in the season, collects his paycheck, summer comes, and he's just out? It doesn't make sense at all because apparently for the last, like, four years that he's been on the team, he's been – getting better over the summer apparently is that that's what we've been hearing so him going to the line and just regressing each year it doesn't make sense that he's it doesn't it doesn't make sense that he's missing these free throws 
No, it it, it really and it's it's even more frustrating as fans to see, you know, you see the tweets, you see the videos, you see the footage. I mean, like this guy is in the gym. Like, I don't want to question, like I was saying, like, does he just collect his check and go on vacation? Like, yeah, the guy, I mean, he's he's always in the news for some sort of celebrity thing or doing something. But there is a lot of footage of him every offseason in the gym. He's putting up shots, fading away, hitting his jumpers. And you're like, okay, like maybe, maybe this is the year. And then it's just, you don't see it. And I think the more, the more alarming numbers than the, even the free throws are the fourth quarter shooting. And just the, I don't want to know if it's the inability, but just the unwillingness to shoot. I mean, games four through seven in the fourth quarter, did not take a single shot, not one shot as your point guard in four straight games in the fourth quarter. And it really, it really gets, you know, you thinking and it makes Philadelphia fans just irate to see a point guard come up, bring up the ball, try, try to quote unquote initiate the offense, but dish it off to either Seth Curry or whoever else is out there and then go hide in the corner. And then you're basically playing four and five. So for you, John, as you know, diehard Sixers fan, like what what on earth do you think happened? Like, do you think it's just a straight mental, like I'm not making my free throws, so I don't want to make take these shots, or is it a you know a laziness? Like, what do you think is going on with Ben and not taking a single shot in four straight fourth quarters? I believe it's mental. I believe that he's afraid to get fouled and go to the line because he knows that he's going to miss those shots. I remember back in I think it was. The first playoff he was in, or the second, um, he was off social media, which I think he should have done again. You saw him posting after most games in the playoffs this year on Instagram. Obviously, he's going to read people saying, come on, make your free throws. Like, what are you doing? And it got to his head because there are millions of people that are saying things, and he's he's had to have seen it. It's definitely mental. Like, when he's – Pass it to Thibel, which ultimately lost the Sixers the game. It was mental. He knew that there was someone behind him. He didn't want to shoot and go to the line because he knew that he would miss at least one of two, and you needed two points there. Yeah, and it's that that was one of those situations that for me watching the game, I think that kind of put the cap on, okay, like this guy is like like seriously scared. Like he was missing free throws, not taking jump right. I was like, okay, he just kind of, you know, that's what he's learned to do. But when I was watching him, he had a spin move off of Gallinari, literally at six foot ten, has a dunk. The only person in his way was Trey Young. Then you dish off to Matisse Thybul, who give him credit for his defense, isn't the best offensive player. It's like, what, like what is going on? Like Matisse had a harder shot than you. I understand that you might have got fouled, but you're right there, so you can either lay it in and dunk it, so you'd get the two points and at least get another free throw and it's just it's so it's difficult to watch because I've always wanted him to do more and do better and if you watch the video that's recently serviced on Twitter is Ben Simmons in the summer league his first summer league and he was pulling up from you know 18 20 feet no issue and like knocking down his shots like pure confidence right out of college and it's just kind of it's tough to watch someone who is so offensively talented outside of scoring. And now everyone wants him gone. I mean, defensively is, you know, I think going to be more the issues with the fans that don't want him traded. I think they're both confident in what he can do minus scoring. What's the defensive side of things? Um, 
just a couple numbers this season real quickly for you. A couple big-name players, when they were guarded by Ben Simmons, their field goal percentage. So Donovan Mitchell was at 38%, Dame Lillard, 33%, Bradley Beal, 25%, Giannis, 25%. And that's their field goal percentage when guarded by Ben Simmons. So defensively, you know, like there's no doubt what Ben Simmons can do defensively. I just think it's it's harder. It's getting harder and harder to argue for him and to get his bag. And I think for me, obviously the dunk was kind of the cap, but the absolute nail in the coffin was, I don't know if you saw their exit interviews, but Joel Embiid said that there's still areas that he can get better, that he can improve and work on. And you're thinking, dude, like if you weren't hurt, you would have won MVP. Like how could you, what could you possibly do better? And then Ben Simmons' interview stated, it is what it is. I am who I am. And those are just the two different mindsets that are extremely frustrating, not just for not just for Philly fans, but for just NBA fans as a whole. Even Shaquille O'Neal said that he would have beat up Ben Simmons if he was in his locker room. <laughs> so, you know, it's 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 a difficult thing to see. So for you, John, kind of where are you with the whole Ben Simmons ordeal? And do you give him one more shot? Do you want to trade him? If you do trade him, who are you targeting realistically? Like, where are you kind of in on this Ben Simmons mix? There's a couple things that I think we should try. I mean, obviously this year I would have liked him to shoot more because if he was shooting more jump shots, I guarantee that he could have put a couple in. Um, no threes, just mid-range shots. I think he can make those. But I do think that in the offseason he should be traded. And if you listened to Daryl Moore the other day, um, he wouldn't answer any questions about Ben, which leads me to think that very interesting. Yeah. And I mean, you gotta you you gotta put picks in this in a Ben Simmons deal because you're not getting a star for him unless you put in two or three picks, which I'm willing to give up because I mean obviously we got Tyrese Maxey with our pick this year, but I'd go all in because you could package Ben and three first round picks for a, I want to say a star, but realistically like a star that is in the middle end. Um, I would say Dane, but that's just not possible. That's not going to happen. Um, no, if I feel like if you want to go, if your target is Dame, unfortunately, because of the way that Ben Simmons performed, you'd have to throw in like a thigh bowl and even maybe like a shake. Like you have to throw in, a couple extra other younger guys. Um, but with the same with the same team, I've seen people saying possibly CJ McCollum because there are a lot of rumors that um, Portland is interested in Ben Simmons. I've also seen that Greg Popovich is rumored to like, you know, absolutely been in love with Ben Simmons and said that, you know, he would love to have him there. I just, I don't know if the return for Ben Simmons from the Spurs is really what you think would mesh with the Sixers. Cause I mean, I love DeJounte. I like DeJounte Murray a lot. Uh, I like Derek White. I kind of like some of their pieces, but I just don't know if the return from the Spurs would be as good as a return from the trailblazers. I mean, I'd take Keldon, Keldon Johnson, Deontay Murray. If you're just going to give up Ben Simmons, I wouldn't take them for picks. Derek White. Could be good too. He could fit the team, but I mean, they giving away Ben Simmons. Um, you need to look for someone else who's going to be the anchor with Joel. I mean, years for a couple of years, um, 
Ben Simmons was like an anchor. Ben Simmons, Andrew Well, and B. And I believe that you need two of those for the team to work. I know um, I've heard Ben Simmons could back up Joel Embiid, but I don't see how that would work as Joel plays like 40 minutes a game. But that would be interesting. If he's a backup as a center and a power forward, um, I think that's interesting, but I just don't see how that could work. Yeah, it's uh... – it's a mess. It's a really a messy situation in Philadelphia. I I have faith in Daryl Morey because I think that the few moves that he was able to make when he got here, I mean, he got to Philadelphia and right away, Horford for Danny Green and then Josh Richardson for Seth Curry, both those guys, three-point shooters. I think they're huge. Obviously, Seth Curry really, you could argue, was the second – you know, best player in the series with the Hawks and was one of the biggest reasons why there even was a game seven uh, before we, you know, we kind of been hammering Ben Simmons a lot here. One of them on Doc Rivers, but just one more stupid stat that I saw that could upset fans is that in 44 minutes in the last six fourth quarters, Ben Simmons played, he took one shot in the three minutes that Udonis has them playing the entire playoffs. He took two shots. Udonis hasn't played three minutes the whole playoffs, took two shots. Ben Simmons in 44 minutes in the fourth quarter took one shot. Just let that sink in for all you Philadelphia fans and Ben Simmons fans. But as much as we've been hammering Ben Simmons, as much as the national media has been coming at him, he is not the only person to blame for their collapse. While he is a big part, we got to talk about Doc Rivers. I mean, Doc Rivers is this guy who I think he's just been regarded as this He's a, he's a name. Like, he's a very well-known name around the league. Everyone knows who he is. He did win the championship with the Celtics. But since that championship, what, what has he done? Like, I, I, I'm going to read you guys quickly a list of where Doc Rivers has been and what he has done in, the, in his playoff history. 2009, he's up 3-2 in Orlando. He lost the series. 2010, they were up 3-2 in the finals, lost the series. 2012, up 3-2 in Eastern Conference Finals. Lost the series. 2013, Clippers were up 3-2. Lost the series. Game 7 was at home. 2014, they had a 15-point lead in Game 5 against OKC. They lost the series in 6. 2015, Clippers up 3-1 on the Rockets. Blew that. 2016, Clippers up 2-0 on the Blazers. They lose the series 4-2. Four straight loss after going up 2-0. 2017, they lost Game 7 at home to the Jazz. In 2020, they were up 3-1 to the Nuggets, and they were up by, like, nearly 30 points in the elimination game. Blew that. This year this year may have been one of the worst. They were up 2-1. They are up 18 points in Game 4, 26 points in Game 5. They were up 2-1 in the series, lost the series in Game 7. I know that that's a long list. That's, you know, a gut-wrenching list to hear, but it's just the reality of who Doc Rivers is. And it begs the question, is Doc Rivers somebody who can get over this hump? Is he able to win another NBA Finals with this lineup? Or do you think that Doc Rivers is who he is, and no matter what he does, a lot of the arguments was his in-game adjustments were terrible. He kept running that four bench players and Tobias lineup. So for you, do you see Doc Rivers as someone who can lead this roster if given the right piece to do a championship? Or was that championship with the Celtics forever ago, his peak, and he's just, this is who Doc Rivers is? I do see that Doc Rivers can lead this team to a championship given the right pieces. 
you got a pillar in Joel Embiid. Um, I believe that you have a pillar into Tobias when he is on. And me saying Tobias when he's on means that you need another piece because you can't always rely on Tobias. If you get a piece for Ben Simmons, then he can lead this team to a championship. You have Maxi at point guard, Curry at shooting guard, Tobias at small forward. You get a power forward in return for Ben. And then you got Joel Embiid at center. And then you have a, a bench guy in Danny Green who could come off the bench, play defense, the eyeballs on the bench to play defense. So that's basically your Ben Simmons. I, I mean, obviously they're not as good as defenders as Simmons, but Danny Green is a pretty good defender and the eyeballs are pretty good defenders. So you got those two defenders that you had this year. Um, but yeah, given the right pieces, I think you can succeed. Um, I know a lot of people were trying to say that he wasn't the right hire this offseason. Um, Ty Lue's not a head coach. He's not a head coach at all. Um, so no, they shouldn't have hired him. And I did want D'Antoni, but I don't think he wanted Embiid. So I think Doc was the right hire, and I do think that he can lead this team to a championship if given the chance or given the pieces. Yeah, so for so you're kind of relying on you think Tyrese Maxey is like the point guard for the Sixers. Like you would start him next year. If, you, if you're Doc Rivers, you're starting Tyrese Maxey at point. Yeah, I, I saw him – when I saw him play this year, he did a lot of good things. He can drive to the rim. He can shoot. Um, and, like, I don't want to say he's like Ben Simmons because he's not, but he has the drive game of Ben Simmons, and then he has his shooting game, which is really good. And uh, They took him – in one of the 20th picks, which he, he's good. He's good for that pick. He's very good for that pick. Yes. And I think he can be the starting point guard next year. I think that he showed in the postseason sort of really like, like he was not scared to attack the rim. And this was a rookie. He's what, he's two years younger than you and I are. And he's in the NBA attacking the rim in the playoffs with no fear. He gets fouled, you know, he, he sets up, he shoots his free throws. He might not be the best of the free throw shooters, but he's not scared to take them, and he'll he'll hit them when you need them. So I really think that I agree with you. I think if I'm Doc Rivers, I'm throwing Tyrese Maxey as your starting point guard for the future. I know that some of the teams that were thrown around for Ben Simmons being moved could possibly be the Warriors with an Andrew Wiggins return would be a really an interesting feel because Andrew Wiggins is someone who can, if he's on, he could give you 25 to 30, but if he's off – he can be very detrimental and hurt your team because when he's off, he'll just keep shooting until he sees one go through, which isn't always something that you want to see uh, from a guy like Andrew Wiggins. But very interesting of you thinking that Doc Rivers can get it done. I, I'm not so much sold on Doc Rivers personally. I've, I've seen the teams that he's had and in the long history of blown leads, he has had the better team. It's not like he was, you know, the worst team and they lucked out and won a few games and blew the series. Majority of the time he has had the better team and they just kind of fizzled out. And whether it's the bench not working or a starters not being fully sold in. Now for the Sixers, Joel and Seth Curry were fully bought in. And I'm excited to see what Seth Curry does next season. I think he'll be even better, even I even though as he's getting older in his career. Um, I'm not so much sold on Doc Rivers. I don't know what he's going to be able to do. I think that Daryl Moore's going to make a lot of changes. The bench has got to improve. 
look, I like Dwight Howard as a person. I think that from time to time, he'll give you 10 and 10 in a quick run. But in that Hawks series, he just, he was not good. He was not the player you needed him to be. He was not the guy that you wanted to. They need, they need somebody to back up Joel who's better than Dwight Howard. They had Tony Bradley and I liked what I saw from him. They traded him for George Hill. I don't think George Hill was anything that the Sixers needed in the playoffs. I like uh, B-ball Paul, Paul Reed a lot, but again, he's young. So you weren't going to just throw him out there because he still has to develop, but I'm not going to fire Rivers after one year. Now, granted Sunday night after the game, I may have tweeted out some stuff saying I want to dock on that was frustration, but I don't think that I would fire him after one year. I give him another year because people also have to think that he was hired in December, which is the same month that the season started. There was not a big break between the hire and the season starting. So yes, he didn't have a long off season. He did have the full season, but once we get this full off season, I want to see what he does. They got to improve the bench. Uh, before we move on to the Eastern and Western Conference Finals and talk about their one more point from you, John, the Sixers, where do they go from here? And where do you see their ceiling being next year? Obviously you don't want Joel Embiid as someone who I would say is ceiling for his prime and championship window is probably only the next three to five years. But the way that his injuries are, he's a big man. I'd say three to five years is really his prime. So John, before we move on, what do the Sixers need to do to elevate and get above, you know, where they are and get them over the hump to that championship team, what are they going to do this offseason? I mean, I agree with what you're saying about MB with those three to five years. Sixers need a backup center, obviously, like you said. Um, it was stupid that they traded Tony Bradley for George Hill because George Hill is like 35, 32, 35, somewhere around there. Yeah, he's, he's, in his, he's in his 30s, and he wasn't exactly stepping up like you needed him to. Yeah, and Doc really didn't give Tyrese Maxey a chance at some points. And when Tyrese Maxey came in, I thought he was pretty good. Um, yeah, they need to trade Ben. Obviously, get a couple of pieces that will help them, like maybe a starter and a bench piece. Um, obviously, we need a backup center. Doc needs to stop putting that all-bench rotation with Tobias out there because, like we said, Tobias is not a guy who is always on. You need a guy out there with, like, three bench players and two starters or two bench players and three starters. That's how it should be done. That's what's going to keep you in games. Yeah, and I'm okay with that, with experimenting with that in the regular season because you knew that they were making the playoffs, they were knowing what you're doing. But the playoffs and in a game seven is not where you'd be throwing out four bench players and a starter. And with the way the series was going, if you're going to throw out a starter, you need a scorer. You're going to throw four bench players and Seth Curry not Tobias because he really wasn't getting it done. But no, I, t- I totally agree with you that they need to make those moves. And Tobias really, I mean, he, he was what their third, maybe fourth best player at times in the series. I mean, you, you no doubt it was Joel and Seth. I could argue that there were times where I liked what I saw from Tyrese Maxey better than what I saw from Tobias. So really Tobias, I understand the push for, you know, he should have been an all-star, but he really – he's not. The, these playoffs showed that he really – I don't want to say the Sixers overpaid for him, but he did not perform up to his contract. I mean, in the beginning of the season, he performed up to his contract, and people were saying that Doc was the reason. But I believe that 
he is overpaid. Uh, I don't think he should have gotten the max because, I mean, that year that he got it, he didn't prove to me that he was a max player. And I think that they did it out of desperation because they couldn't get Jimmy Butler back, and he was the only option. Yeah, it's it's heartbreaking. It's heart-wrenching for a lot of Philadelphians and for Sixers fans to think that most of the season the talk was championship or bust. It was, hey, listen, if there's a year, this is our year. They got the one seed. They had home court. Then LeBron gets eliminated in the first round. And then you see the Nets go down in seven games. So now you're thinking, oh, our path is just the Bucs, and then we're into the finals. And the Bucs are a team that I – no doubt thing the Sixers could have beat in five or six. But they couldn't get it done. Ben Simmons underperformed. Doc's rotations were not great. And they are where they are. They're at home. They're in the offseason. But to move away from that, and let's get into now the Eastern Western Conference championships. I mean, we're here. I don't think anybody at the beginning of the season would have predicted a Hawks-Bucks Eastern Conference finals. I don't know anybody that, you know, Outside those fans, I don't know anybody that even wants this matchup, but it is what it is. Trey Young or Giannis, one of them's going to the finals. What do you kind of see in this series, Giannis? How do you see it playing out? Um, I think the Bucs win the series. I mean, like I said, well, what I said to Hawks fans was that uh, they didn't play a real team in the first round with the Knicks because Julius Randle fizzled out. They were a real team when Julius Randle was playing like an all-star. And the playoffs, he fizzled out. Um, yeah, there's. I don't think there's any doubt that the Bucks will beat him. Um, it's it's weird because Giannis usually just drives in the middle, and that's how he kills teams. And teams still don't know how to stop him somehow. But um, yeah, I I would say I want to say Bucks in four, but I don't want to say that. I want to say Bucks in five. Um, they should be able to take down the Hawks. Yeah, I I understand your logic, what you're saying. Giannis, he, he's a freak. He's one of those guys where you know he doesn't have a bag. Like He can't handle it. You've seen him drive in, just kind of dribble out in and out of the paint. He can't really go in between the legs much. He, he doesn't have much handles. You know exactly what he's going to do, but he's still putting up 25, 30, 35 points a game, so he can't be stopped. I don't think Clint Capella or John Collins really are up to the task to stop him. The Bucs, they're, they're a lot – lot better with their veterans. I mean, you got Giannis, you got Chris Milton and Drew Holiday. That's a that's a pretty solid core three veteran guys who have been in tough situations and they've been there before, so they know exactly what they're doing. Whereas the Hawks, they're a lot younger. You know, this is this whole this whole Eastern Conference Finals, this whole playoff thing is very new to a lot of these guys. I I understand the Bucks in five. <laughs> For me, it's just it's hard to just say Bucks right away because I was thinking the Sixers should have won in four or five against the Hawks. It, it took a monumental collapse for the Sixers that I don't see foresee the Bucks collapsing like that. But I got to give the Hawks credit. I mean, they played hard. They Even when they were struggling shooting the three ball, different guys stepped up from time to time and they really they put in their work. I still – I like the Bucks in this series – I think that the Hawks could win a couple, but I think I'd say Bucks in six. Would I be shocked if it went to seven games? Not at all. I really wouldn't be. As much as I'm not a fan of Trey Young just because of his cockiness and the way that he plays the game, I have all the respect in the world for him. I mean, the guy is leading 
a team that you take Trey Young off this Hawks team. They're a lottery team. They're a high lottery team. They're really this just shows you the impact that he has on the team for the Hawks. And they're, they were the five seed for a reason. They're not up in the higher seeds. But I got to give them credit. They worked hard. Trey Young plays hard. He's a cocky player, but the, the way that they're sitting right now, he has the right to be cocky because of where they are in the situation. But so you're saying Bucks in five. I'm just curious. Do you see any sort of path for the Hawks to get to the finals? Or do you think, you know, the magic is over. It was just a massive Sixers collapse, which is why they're here. And they really, they're going to be woken up in this, in the Eastern Conference finals. Or do you think it's like, no, like, I'm saying Bucks and five, but it wouldn't shock me if the Hawks won. So you look at game four and game five of the Hawks and Sixers series, and the Sixers win game four and game five if Ben Simmons hits his free throws. That's why I'm saying um, Bucks and five, because if Ben Simmons hits those free throws, the Sixers are going to the Eastern Conference Finals right now. It doesn't even go to a game seven. You take two games away. Sixers would have won five. Um, and I mean, I know Giannis doesn't, he's not great with the free throws, but he's a much better finisher than Ben Simmons is. So I don't see anyone from the Bucks going to the line and missing as much as Ben Simmons did. Um, so yeah, the, the Bucks are, are well, the, bound to beat the Hawks. That's a very, it's a very solid point that you bring up about Giannis. And it's something that I heard on multiple TV and radio platforms that Ben Simmons and Giannis are very similar in the way that, you know, they don't, they don't shoot the ball particularly well. They don't shoot the free throws that well, but they kind of facilitate the offense at times. The difference is you see Giannis take the threes. Now he may not, he may hit one out of every 10 or two out of every 10, but he takes them. He's not scared to. You'll see him drive if he doesn't see a lane. He pull up, pulls up from the mid-range, and he attacks the rim. And his free throw shooting, not good. You'd want it to be better, but he's not scared. He steps up, and from time to time, he'll knock down two. You can see, like, in his face when he gets a line, like, he's not too excited to be there, but he's not scared. Like, he's not mentally out of it. So I think that that's the difference between Simmons and Giannis that will push the Bucks over the top is they're kind of similar players. But there's a certain dog in Giannis that there just isn't in Ben Simmons, and Giannis isn't scared to take those shots. If you know what yeah. I mean, so. Uh, yeah, that's that's what I was thinking. Um, yeah, Ben Simmons, um, he didn't shoot jumpers like Giannis does. Um, he didn't attack like Giannis does. Giannis is the difference maker that the Sixers didn't have, and he's the difference maker that will get them over the hump to beat the Hawks. And I wouldn't be surprised if they win four. It should be – I mean, the, the Hawks shouldn't have been a playoff team. They're the fifth seed, obviously. Trey Young looks great, but they're not They're not a real playoff team in my eyes. Yeah, well, that series is starting probably as this podcast is being uploaded. So there's our predictions for Eastern Conference. I want to move over to the Western Conference. Uh, as we make this, as we are recording this podcast – Suns are currently up 2-0 on the Clippers, uh, going back to L.A. for games three and four. I don't want to say this series is over. It's not looking good for the Clippers, but I also keep in the back of my head, okay, the first two rounds of the playoffs, 
they started off down 0-2, and now here they are. I don't know if it's just their mentality or if it takes them three games to really figure out a team, and that's when they wake up. But last night's game, I don't know, John, if you caught last night's game at all, but they were up, they were up on the they were the Clippers were up on the Suns 103-102 with Paul George at the line to shoot two free throws to go up three. Misses both of them. Then the Suns go down. Mikel Bridges misses a corner three out of bounds on the Clippers. They have 0.9 inbounds it. And in one of the most beautiful passes I think I've ever witnessed in playoff basketball, Jay Crowder throws it to DeAndre and dunks it about 0.5 left on the clock. You know, Clippers can't do anything. Clock runs out. So Suns are up 2-0 on the Clippers. And this is with Kawhi Leonard out. A lot of doubt that he's ever going to see the court again in these playoffs. Chris Paul was just cleared to come back for the Suns for game three. So they're up 2-0, getting Chris Paul. Clippers are not getting Kawhi Leonard. I got to give them credit to the Clippers. They were down 2-0 to the Jazz in the previous round and then ended up winning the series, and they were fully healthy. Do you see any possibility with Chris Paul coming back of the Clippers making a run like they did in the first two rounds after being down 0-2? Or the Suns just such a hot team getting their point guard back that it's really it's over for them? In my eyes, it's over. Um, you have a guy coaching that team that isn't a real coach, like I said earlier. Uh, Ty Lue had his success with LeBron <laughs> I- I do think that you would get a lot of pushback and hate for the Ty Luke on there's, there's been a lot of praise for Ty Lue these playoffs, given that, you know, I, I kind of understand what you're saying, but my only pushback would be he did, he won a championship, but it was LeBron's kind of team. So, you know, a lot of people don't like to say that Ty Lue won it, but I do think that he credit is due to him and the fact that they were able to come back being down 2-0 to the jazz without Kawhi Leonard. I mean, you got to give him credit for that one. I mean, yeah. The Jazz are like a sneaky good team, if you know what I mean. They have some guys off the bench that can change the game, Clarkson and Ingles. Jordan Clarkson is a starter on a lot of teams in NBA. I agree. And Ingles, you could make the argument for him that he could be a starter as well. Um, but, yeah, going back to the Western Conference Finals, um, you also don't have your best player in Kawhi is out. Paul George is a known choke artist um, in the playoffs. He's he looked he could have sealed the game last night. That was horrible missing two at the line. Yeah, that was so that no. was tough to watch. Yeah, I mean, in Chris Paul, uh, before the season started, I thought that he was going to be washed, but he's looked great. He looks like he's like twenty five. So there's no way. I mean, maybe the Clippers win a couple, but there's no way they're coming back and winning that series. Yeah, no, the the Chris Paul. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but the Chris Paul effect is a real thing. I mean, every single time he's joined a team, the winning percentage has gone up from the previous season when he wasn't there. You think about last year, the famous picture of the Thunder, I mean, like 0.2% chance to make the playoffs and he willed them to the playoffs. And it's just, it's incredible what he does. And like you said, he he's getting older and older. So a lot of people think that he's washed and he's looking like prime Chris Paul, like that he's in his mid twenties and just getting his career started. It's incredible to see what he does uh, you got Devin Booker, who people are starting to th- say could be the next Kobe Bryant. Obviously, Devin Booker had a very close relationship with Kobe as well. So it would make a lot of sense to kind of see the way that he's playing the game. He's playing really hard. It's just something about the grit that I've seen from the Clippers 
and the way that they're playing, obviously last night that game was, it was Paul George. It was a choke fest. I mean, you're up one. You had two free throws. You forced them to hit a three to even go to overtime. Misses both of them. They lose on inbound dunks. Like that, that's tough to watch. However, I did see somebody said that the Clippers were a very, very, uh, no, not, not the Clippers, excuse me, that the Suns were a very lucky team and not a legit team because of the way the past two games have kind of gone down. I don't agree with that assessment, but I will say that it took some slight luck for game two to go their way because Paul George, known choke artist, but he's not a bad free throw shooter. He just, he missed two there at the end. It was unfortunate for him, but I wouldn't quite count the Clippers out of this one. I just, I want to see how they perform. They, they, cause they've, they've occasionally, they have like these random guys, like for instance, in the clutch game against the Jazz, Terrence Mann drops 39, like, out of nowhere you've seen Reggie Jackson has kind of come to his own these playoffs you'll occasionally get some big buckets from Luke Kennard so they have different pieces stepping up that have given them their fight and the reason I don't think it's over yet is because these games aren't blowouts they're like one two point games they're not the Clippers aren't losing by 20 or 30 without Kawhi they're right there until the end Um, so you're kind of on the fence but you're more leaning towards you think that it's a done deal that you think Suns maybe in four or five, you're not really giving the Clippers much of any hope here. Yeah. I, I mean, you see Chris Paul coming back is a huge advantage. Chris Paul, he can shoot, dude. He, his passes are crazy. They're better than any point guard I've seen. You got Devin Booker who can score 38 on a bad night. Um, and you got DeAndre and DeAndre Ayton. Very underrated. He is a very underrated center. I like his defense. He's big. Um, and then the guy that passed in the uh, the inbound last night, Jay Crowder. That was a great pickup. I just want to say at the deadline. Well, that, um, that that inbounds pass, like I don't think that pass could have been thrown any more beautiful. It was one of it was one of the best passes. It may be the best inbounds pass I have ever witnessed as a basketball fan. He threw it exactly to where it needed to be. And with 0.9 on the clock, DeAndre was able to finish it without the clock running out. He didn't have to come down with it. He didn't have to catch and put it up. He literally just caught it midair and threw it down. But that's a very underrated piece. Colin Coward was actually talking about, I was listening to him, I think it was yesterday, about he likes the Suns a lot because they're old school. They're not, they're not, a lot of teams are kind of transitioning to positionless basketball. You throw five guys on the court with various heights and they'll figure it out. The Suns have, Chris Paul, who is a legit point guard, like that's his position. You have Devin Booker, who's a shooting guard, and he fits that role perfectly. Mikel Bridges, who's a small forward, very well there. DeAndre Ayton at center, and he is like the ideal, like a newer version of the old school center. He's not going to give you a ton of outside the paint, but when you get him in the paint, he is tough to stop. And it's slipping my mind. Oh, Jay Crowder. Well, I think Jay Crowder starts small forward, Mikel at the four. Either way, those two guys as forwards. They're playing old school basketball and it's working and it's incredible to see it working in a new game. And I, I give them all the credit in the world. And this is really, this is a defining moment for Devin Booker because all the talk in, in his career has always been get him out of Phoenix or he can't, you know, lead a team. He can't do this or that someone save his career, but here they are two wins away from the NBA finals. And it's just, it's incredible to see this happen. I, I, Personally, I'll have the Suns winning in 
in six. I think that the Clippers will get a couple here and there because I think that they'll be able to figure it out. And I think that they'll win a couple of games once they realize, okay, this is what we need to do. But like you said, this Chris Paul coming back is a huge factor and a fully healthy Suns team really should win the finals. And the teams that are left, I think the Suns should be, I don't want to say heavy favorites, but pr- pretty high up there in the favorites as compared to the other teams. Um, before we kind of close this podcast out, before we close the episode out, just kind of final thoughts, John, where are you, the four teams remaining? Uh, you said you got Bucks and you got Suns. Those two meet in the finals. What do you see going down if that's your finals pick? I see the Suns winning. Like you said, the old school basketball, um, they play old school. And that was how the game is meant. To, that's how the game is meant to be played. Um, there's a reason why basketball used to be played like that. And teams transitioning into the newer game, like the Bucks. I mean, sorry, you don't have a chance against the old school team. Uh, I'm not a fan of like the games changing. You see it with every sport. And the teams that play old school are the ones who are the most successful in my eyes. Uh, so the Suns will have no problem beating the Bucks. I think the Eastern Conference is a little weak with the last two teams left. Um, the Bucks got through because of the Nets injuries in my eyes. Um, yeah, I think the Bucks, the Bucks will, or the Suns will kill the Bucks. Yeah, the the Western Conference. I'll say it. I, the Western Conference really lucked out with the way the East played out. It should have been Sixers Nets if they were fully healthy and if Ben Simmons shot fifty percent from the free throw line as opposed to thirty four. That's really they lucked out big time in the East. Um, Bucks Suns. There you go. For me, I I too have Bucks Suns, but I will not give you my finals pick until we get there because I will keep that a mystery as I have to evaluate more more and more. But no, I'll keep that a mystery. I, I have a pick in my head, but I'm not going to let you know that until we get to that point. But I want to thank you guys for joining in. It has been a long time. It has been six months since we made an episode. Again, various things between work and COVID affecting things and transitioning schools. It's been a lot, but we're here. Got a new episode out. I appreciate you guys giving it a listen. I appreciate the support. I want to thank John for joining me on this episode. Definitely going to have him join me again down the road. I'm not sure how long David is at camp, but it's at least a month that he's gone. So trying to get back into the flow of things, get back to these weekly episodes for you guys and putting out new content. I personally joined 971, 91.7, excuse me, WCR, The Curve, that's Westchester University's radio station. And I will have my own show in the fall. The date and time is to be determined. But once I know that, I will put that information out there for you guys so you can listen to me and hear me talk live in an unedited version of this on the radio show. But just want to thank you again. Thanks, John, for joining me. And, you know, hopefully we can have you back again in another episode. If you, if you want to come back, just let me know. I mean, I, you got a month open, so whatever your schedule is looking like. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I enjoyed it. I'll definitely be back if given the chance. And, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. I'm hoping to have access to a podcast studio for you listeners out there because I realize that the audio quality of this might not be the best, um, but I do have a studio in works that I'm trying to get into to enhance the viewers the listeners experience and the cutback on feedback and the different background noises. But I want to thank you for the support. 
and I'm away in Florida next week, but that does not mean that we cannot record because of Zoom, which is how we did this episode. So be on the lookout for another episode next week. We will do our best to get content out to you. I want to thank you guys again for the support and for joining us and enjoy the NBA playoffs and let's see who gets where and the Sixers are in for one of the most exciting, interesting off seasons in their history of their franchise. Let's see where it goes. Thanks again for joining us. <laughs>